Thanks for listening to audio from Rockhaven Church. For more information on our ministry, please visit us at our website at www.rockhavenchurch.org. Second Kings chapter 4. You're opening your Bible to Second Kings chapter 4. I'm going to ask that you might multitask and pray with me. Lord, we have sung your praises in the truth of your character in our worship. We continue in worship and an act and demonstration of faith by coming before your throne of grace and asking you, petitioning you to lead and guide our hearts and minds. We open up your word, Father, knowing that your way and your wisdom is best. And so, Lord, as we turn to your word that you have given us as a gift, use this time to take away the things that shouldn't be in our lives and replace it with the things of you that you desire. Lord, give us and grant to us great faith and courage to implement your truth into our, into our lives. And Lord, in this time, I pray that you calm my nerves and let me be an appropriate vessel by which, Lord, your truth is neither detracted from or added to. But Lord, that each person gathered here might be blessed as you fellowship with them in this very real and personal way. In Jesus' name, amen. Is it warm in here? Pete says, yes, I agree with Pete. Hey, um, if last week in our introductions to Elisha, He ministered to and kept alive by God's power some incredible kings, right? I mean, excuse me, an incredible act. He kept alive these kings of Israel. You would think that the next step would be some accolade or some honoring of Elisha. That's not what we're going to read. Instead, as we dive into chapter 4, we're going to be introduced to two more incredible stories of provision for people. If we look to Elijah and we saw in his ministry these incredible acts of great power, of a testimony of a power that only belonged to God, in Elisha's ministry over the next four chapters, we're going to see God's incredible power used in provision to care for and to affirm a group of people that God is still calling to to himself. Remember, the, the kings are, are not following after God. They're still in rebellion. God is still desiring for the nation of Israel and for the nation of Judah to say, see, behold, that I am the one true God. And so we get these opportunities, these factual accounts of history to see and behold God's mighty hand, but his constant invitation to believe in him, to have faith in him, and to exercise those things. What's more, as we go through these factual accounts of history, then we're looking for the life lessons that God wants to teach us as well. And so that we're not just amazed by a story, but we're willing to ask, since this is true, what does God want to do in my life? What difference will it make? Baby dedication, been two weeks since I've preached. Normally, This is when I pull one of those 50-minute sermons. It's taken 17 and a half years, but I'm learning. I'm going to take a smaller chunk today and keep it to 48. (laughs) 
The fact of the matter is, is that we're going to be introduced to two women. One, a widow who's in distress and who doesn't have much at all, and to a very wealthy woman. And those two seeming contrasts are linked together by the work of Elijah and the demonstration of faith. And faith is what's important. See, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we want to look at this, and what I'm going to do is introduce this to the first one. And so look with me, and I'm going to read it, and then we're going to come back and break it apart like we usually do. Look with me at 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty the vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself, and you, excuse me, and your sons, and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him, and she shut the door behind herself and her sons. And she poured, as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said, Mama, there's not another one. Then the oil stopped flowing, and she came and told the man of God. And he said, go, sell the oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. A lot of times when we tackle a piece of Scripture, I'll start reading, and then I'll say, wait, 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 stop, and then we'll talk about a little something. But I wanted to read the whole of this. I want to read the whole of this because, quite frankly, this exercise of pause is more for me than for you. <laughs> I love these next couple of chapters. This is some of the most wonderful pieces. You know, pastors say that. You've heard Joel say it. Jason say it. John says it. My favorite piece. No, 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 no. Really, I love these accounts of history and how God has worked. And the more time I spend in them, the more things I see about God's character and the link, the corollary to the gospel. And so I wanted you to see all of it. And now we'll look and see what God shows your heart as well. First and foremost, we're introduced to, well, no one in particular, we don't know her name. It just says, a woman, right? A wife of one of the sons of the prophets. Life application number one. Just because this woman is not known to the church and the records of history recorded for us in the First Testament does not mean that her plight and her life and livelihood aren't important to God. That should be an encouragement to us. I know for a fact that in my life, if, 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 if the records of history of the state of Minnesota, nowhere in there is going to say, and then there was a man named John McCosh. <laughs> he died. I suppose that'll be at the courthouse someday. But, but, but what's encouraging is, what Jesus said in John chapter 10, I know my own, and my own know me. Nothing escapes God's notice. Today, you may feel empty. 
You may feel abandoned. You may feel like you're longing, missing, needing something. But know this, whatever circumstance is going on in your life, it does not escape God's notice. Before we even ask, he knows what we need. So what in those truths should be the response of our lives? In whom do we seek our fulfillment? This woman cried out to Elisha, and she said, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know your servant feared the Lord. Interestingly enough, we don't know his name either, but here's what church history says. Do you guys remember in 1 Kings chapter 18 when Elijah was fearful of all the prophets and everything was going on and his confrontations with Ahab and all of those things that we were introduced to a man named Obadiah who was feeding 100 prophets of the Lord, right? Remember that? And he hid them by 50s in two caves and he fed them. In the midst of a famine, he fed them bread and water. He's taking care of them. Church history believes that this man who passed away may have been Obadiah. I mean, how else do you feed 100 people for a Lord knows how long in the midst of a famine without incurring a lot of debt? I don't know. Whether it's true or it's not, the fact of the matter is, is that this woman has debts and her husband has since passed and now legally, legally, the creditor has come knocking. Right? The creditor has come knocking. And the penalty for not paying the debts is the enslavement or the bond serving of her children until the fulfillment of the debt or, according to the Mosaic law, until the year of Jubilee. Then those debts forgiven and the boys are set free. But she's coming to Elisha and she's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. For my boy's sake, is there anything we can do. Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Jar. That word is unique, and in its use here, means a small flask, likely for anointing, okay? Um, you ever seen one of those small anointing flasks filled with oil? Likely olive oil, right? Olive oil was used for everything. It was more precious than gold, right? Now all we use olive oil is, is to cook healthy foods. I still prefer butter, but my family's training me, Right? Oil could be used for, for, for medical reasons. It could be used for anointing. It could be used for skin care. It could be, you know, we've read about it already, the, the anointing of kings and of prophets. We've, we've read about the anointing of, you know, of, of the sick. We've gone through, this oil is pretty valuable, but she only has one tiny little flask of it. Life lesson number two. God can use whatever it is that is in your house if by faith we will let ascribe or grant unto him no matter what our uh, no matter what our position or our provision god will take what we have our time our talents our possessions and multiply them if 
We trust Him in accordance with His kingdom purposes. What shall I do for you? Now, Elijah doesn't wait. Elisha doesn't wait. He asks her then, what do you have? At that moment, I got to think that the widow's like going through her mind like, okay, well, there's the dresser and there's the sofa. Uh, there's the, uh, uh, the spoons on uh, the cat. Uh, he ain't worth anything. What do I have of value? Right? Sorry, cat lovers. And, and, and she thinks immediately, boom, the only thing I have of any value is this oil. So that's, that's what she's thinking. Okay? That's what I have to offer, to give. But remember, all of these things are set, right? She's petitioned, not so that they can be wealthy in the world, not that they, but, but that her boys might be set free from this bondage of slavery. Then he tells her something interesting. Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty the vessels, and not too few. Go in, shut the door behind yourself and your sons, and pour into all these vessels. When one is full, set it aside. Interesting picture. She has to leave the prophet, and then she has to do something. This is her prescribed, what will you do for me? And he doesn't say, well, come with me. I'll show you. He says, I need you to be a participant to demonstrate your faith and your trust and what I'm about to tell you in accordance with God's will. And so she's got to go, right, to all of her neighbors and ask for empty vessels. That's an awkward moment. That'd be like me canvassing the countryside. See, in our, in our family, in our household, we don't ask for, may I borrow a vessel? We might ask for buckets. Everything in our house is buckets. Tools go in buckets. Grain go in buckets. Water goes in buckets. Everything goes in buckets. Buckets are valuable, right? But everybody has a bucket. We have lots of buckets. But she's got to go around and she's got to ask for any one of her neighbors that has an empty vessel that she might borrow it. And then, interesting enough, you can put yourself in these shoes. What's the first thing? A neighbor came over and knocked on your door and said, can I borrow a bucket? You might say, for what? Right? That's just naturally what you might do. And so at that place and point in time, she has to say what? What does she say? It's not recorded for us. But what we know is, is that the exercise of her faith is a trust and an obedience to the word of the prophet to go and to ask. And not once, but a lot of times. And the measure of her faith will be in how many vessels she collects. If she just does it a couple of times, or will she humble and remain humble before the Lord, asking, imploring her neighbors if they have any empty vessels that she might borrow, right? And then what does she say to them? That I, that I, might be obedient to what the Lord has asked me to do. Because God's about to do something, and I don't know what it is, but my task is collecting these buckets. Life lesson application number, anybody know? Two. Thank you. God may ask us to do some things in our following of His Word and of His wisdom that don't make any sense to the rest of the world. And you don't have to explain yourself and try to justify or what, you know. All we have to do is know what God has called us to do and to act on that regardless of about what the world will do around us. 
At some place and point in time, her faith was exercised in the asking, and God was at work in the willingness of her neighbors to grant those vessels. Our obedience to Christ is not based on what other people say, think, or require of us. Our obedience to Christ is simple. Do what He says. And then watch and see what happens. So she and her boys, they go into the house and they shut the door with all these vessels. And interestingly enough, when one is full and set aside, they're going through. But again, her next exercise of faith is to take this tiny little jar and this great big vessel and begin pouring. I mean, she's got, she's got to say, okay, I don't know how, but right, there's that moment. There's that moment where she begins to pour and the oil comes out and it looks like the flask is about to go empty and then it continues to flow and flow and flow, and flow, and flow, and flow. And she says, Johnny, get another one, right? And flow, and flow, right? Get another one, get another one. What do you suppose she was feeling in that moment? If there was a, a humbleness in her obedience to go and solicit the vessels from her neighbors, in the moment that she's watching this miracle right before her, what washes over her then? Anybody? Huh? No? You guys are a bunch of duds. I'm about to explode. Joy! Thank you, Deborah. Joy! The thing our hearts long for. The thing that Jesus has said, I will give you as a possession so that my joy might be in you and that it might be full. Joy overflowing. Overflowing. Because of her obedience, she steps forward in obedience. She does what the prophet asks. She begins to, right, continue in that faith step, continues to pour. And the D-da-day that's overflowing the entirety of that house behind those closed doors, just her and her boys. And I'm getting the boys are like, come on, mama, you can do it. She's like, keep bringing the vessels, boys. Right? To the point where she turns around and says, bring me another one, Johnny. Mama, they're gone. Boom. It's done. It's done. Life lesson application number three. The joy our hearts all long for come because we are obedient to whom? Jesus. And to what? He declares for us in our lives by His counsel, by His truth, by His leading, providing and guiding, if we will be participants in those things. After this glory, and who knows? We don't know how many vessels it was. All we know is that if she had collected more, those that had been filled, if she had collected less, that would have been the end, right? She's got all these vessels, and they're filled with the house. She looks at the boys. The boys look at her. Everybody's got a moment. They take a selfie, Okay? And then she goes immediately to the prophet. Uh, look with me uh, at verse 7. The oil stopped flowing, verse 6, verse 7. She came and told the man of God, testifying 
this is what the Lord did. <laughs> it's like, and I wonder if Elijah's, Elisha's like, oh, wow. Right? Life lesson application number four. If, when, someone in our church family taking a step of obedience is greeted by the provision of the Lord, our job is to celebrate with one another, to encourage, right? To, to walk alongside. Yes, we know that we will bear with one another's burdens, but it is equal to our joy to celebrate with one another, what God is doing. I believe that's what Elisha does. And with a smile on his face, he simply tells her, now go and sell the oil to pay the debt. And then, how much oil? Whatever you have left over, you and your boys could live on. For how long? The debt's been canceled, so how long can they live on it? Is that a month? Is that a week? A day? Is it the remainder of their life? Does she become the oil queen of the community, right? Is anybody got any oil? I don't know, but go check with Martha. She's got oil galore. We don't know, but we can say this. It was in abundance to her debt. Abundance to her debt. Jesus said, I have spoken these things that you might have joy and that you might have it full. How full? In abundance. What are we to do with this story? When I look at it, I see the gospel over and over and over again. Each and every one of us are tempted at times to fill ourselves with something. Something. Something of the world. We might be tempted to, to fill ourselves with our pursuits. That's popular, right? In the summer, we all, all winter long, we tell ourselves, when summer comes, it'll calm down. Did that happen in your life? Nope. What happens when summer comes? It gets really busy. And then what do we say? When winter comes, it'll slow down. And it never does. And we chase after all of these things in our pursuit. But what we find is what uh, uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes to be true. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I expended in doing it. And behold, it was all vanity and striving after the wind. To be filled in our identity and in our hopes and in our aspirations. Somehow thinking that we'll find joy in our pursuits is vanity in accordance to wisdom, uh, God's wisdom. So then at times people may be tempted to, in their, in their efforts to fill whatever need or longing they have in their lives, that somehow, some way, if I just had more money or if I just had more possessions, the, the coveting, the wanting, which I will confess to you is something that I wrestle with all of the time. That just if I could just have fill in the blank, then things, if my tractor would just stay running, Right? That's a real issue, by the way. 
But then there's the reminder that in accordance with Scripture and the, 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 the correct view that in eternity and in all things, right, what matters most is people, not things. That, the, that at the end, when we all stand before Jesus, everything that we see around us becomes ash. But what lasts and remains forever and ever are the souls of men and women. Still, others might choose to follow the prestige of life. Somehow, some way, if I, if I just had the right job, or if I just had someone who viewed or thought or saw me, as, it, fill in the blank, where we have a greater fear of men than we have of God. And that each and every one of these things is contrary to what God is calling us to in His Son, Jesus Christ. Still, we do it. But may it not be so after today. May we be found faithful to be filled with the one thing that will last forever. And that is the spirit that God gives by an exercise of faith once we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1. Having heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you're sealed and marked with the promised Holy Spirit who has given us a guarantee. A guarantee to what? A guarantee to full and to abundance, both in this life and the life to come. And then what's more, what does God want to do with us? He wants us to begin to think about others instead of ourselves, and hence the gospel point. Those boys were stuck legally into bondage by what the Mosaic law said was rightful to be done. So too, our lives are in bondage unless God will do something miraculous in which he has done through his son, Jesus Christ. See, God's word says that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And that the penalty deserving by legal right for sin in our lives is separation from God and a curse and ultimately death and what's more, hell. We need something to happen miraculous that we might be set free. And that God sending His Son Jesus provides the miracle. Our action step, our point of life application is simply to see and behold with simple faith, go right? And exercise that faith behind closed doors. And it reminds me of the same direction that Jesus gave those who say, hey, how should we pray? And Jesus says, your Father, Heavenly Father who, who knows everything, who sees what's done in secret, right, tells you that when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who stand up on street corners and pound their chest. No, you go behind closed doors, an exercise of that faith simply begins by saying, Jesus Christ, right? Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Come into my life and fill me with that hope, with that satisfaction. And then what's more in your abundance, like lead and guide me in all of my life. He's faithful to do it. He's faithful to do it. If we remain faithful to his kingdom purposes. In John chapter 4, Jesus says, the water I will give to him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Like that, that flask of oil that never emptied, in speaking with the woman from Samaria, Jesus told her at Jacob's well, he says, people who drink this water will be thirsty again. But I tell you, by faith in me, what I will give will be such abundance, it will be like a spring of water welling up. Welling up, constant, constant. 
But for what purposes? And in John chapter 7, verse 38, Jesus said, Whoever believes in me, out of him will flow rivers of living water. That there's a purpose behind what God has done in our lives. Like the widow who beseeched the prophet, help my boys. So we come before God and we say, dear Heavenly Father, please rescue me. But what's more, what you have shared with me, share with others. That our hearts might be concerned with what God's concerned about. That we might invest in the kingdom purposes of God to share with others what God has shared with us. He doesn't give us a spring, a fount of living water for us to just sit around in a bathtub all day. Instead, we go out into our communities dripping with grace so that people would know the difference that Jesus makes. And when they ask, what is different than you than in the world, we can simply tell them the difference is that God loves us. Paul understood that when he told the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That's true. We have this treasure in jars of clay. What kind of jar are you? Right? I'm a cracked pot. That's true. A bucket with a crack in it. But that's so that whatever God wants to put in it can be shared with others. Life application number four. God is inviting you to behold and believe that He really is who He says He is. That He cares about your life and that He does love you. But what's more is he wants to challenge our way of thinking so that we might see that life is more than what we can feel, see, and touch. To have a kingdom perspective. And that he's given us an incredible gift in his son that the overflowing is not for us to demand more things that are going to be like chasing the wind or turning to ash or, 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 or take us away from the God that we love, but rather that he's given us these things so that we might share them with other people. So that the joy that is in abundance is be compounded upon relationship and relationship and relationship. Our job is to not believe the lie that our, our enemy loves to whisper that you don't know enough, or you don't have enough, or you can't, you can't, you can't be involved, right? That God can use exactly what you have in your life. A small, small vessel of oil. If we will realize that we are just stewards of the things that God has given us, and that He can do whatever it is that He and He alone desires. May we be found so faithful. Meryl, bring your team up. Two things in closing. One, if I don't do this now, a little bit later this afternoon, Tammy will say to me, did you really call everybody duds? <laughs> and so, in keeping with the Holy Spirit who has prompted me, will you please forgive me for calling y'all duds? We are not. We are not. 
But I do pray that the Holy Spirit of God, which is given to us as an incredible gift, would well up inside of you like a constant spring overflowing. And that each and every one of us would learn in our fellowship with that Spirit, right? To discover how beautiful it is, the gift that God has given us. In Galatians, it says, in light of this independence holiday, that for freedom Christ has set us free. For you were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but rather being led by the Spirit and keeping step with the Spirit. Let us then, let the fruit of the Spirit be alive in our life, which is love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against such things. You know why? Because those things are good for people. But our patience and our goodness and our kindness are not meant for us to keep. They're meant to be used in a world who is yet to know Jesus. May we be found faithful because He has been so very faithful to us. God bless each and every one of you. Have a good afternoon, and we'll talk to you soon. Call with questions. Mm -hmm.